Good morning. Welcome to Belleville First Church of the Nazarene. Uh, please stand and worship with us this morning. crowd's growing. I mean, first two weeks ago, we had two folks over here. Look at that group. We may have to get more chairs over there. Of course, you can't sit in them, but we'd have to get them. We are glad you're here. We're going to have a great day this first Sunday of Advent. If you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. Uh, 
this is a good day to be in the Lord's house. Thanksgiving is over. Or has it just begun? Amen, brother. You can continue in a spirit of Thanksgiving Tuesday night. And in Bible study, as we're looking in uh, the Gospel of John, uh, we're going to be online at 6.30, so be sure and look for that email. We're still collecting uh, gift cards for um, Restore Families. Uh, be sure and get those, and we will get them to Trish. Or you can go on to the church um, Facebook site, and you can see the, see the link where you can buy them, and they'll go to Trish directly. Christmas Eve service is, going, is still being planned, so we'll see what happens between now and then, but uh, mark your calendar. You remember? That's December 24th. Okay. And we're going to do that at 6 p.m. So now uh, we uh, are going to begin our Advent season with the lighting of the candle. So Brenda's going to come with two of our grandsons, and they are going to do this reading for us. You can take your, take your mask off. Hope is nothing else than the expectations of those things which faith is believed to have been truly promised by God. Thus, faith believes God to be true, believes that he is our father. Hope anticipates what he will ever show himself Michael. to be a father toward us. Faith believes that eternal life has been given to us. Hope anticipates that it will sometime be revealed. Faith is the foundation upon which hope rests. Hope nourishes and sustains faith. In the Christian life, faith has a priority, but hope is primary. Without faith's knowledge of Christ, hope becomes a utopia and remains hanging in the air. Be strong and take heart, all you who Hope in the Lord, Psalm 31, 23. Thank you, Brenda, Micah, and Aiden. Take hope. Take hope. Let us pray. We know that our hope is in you, Lord, and that's why we're here. We know that hope is often seen only in darkness. That when things are going well, we don't notice the hope that we have. So unfortunately, many people today are seeing are anticipating that hope will be fulfilled. And we know, Lord, as we have known for generations, as those before us have known, and we pray those who come after us, that our hope is in you. So bless us this day, and may we 
not only experience hope, but may we become bearers of it as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you, uh, instead of a, another uh, scripture, to join me in a responsive reading. I will read the first part. I'm the reader, and you're the all. This first week of Advent is a celebration of hope. God's people are neither optimistic nor pessimistic about the future. God's people do not put their hope in possessions, in rulers, or in systems and structures. God's people learn to be patient in suffering because they know that suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Give thanks to God always because of the grace that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Through him we have become rich in hope. We are not missing any spiritual gift while we wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Our hope is in the Lord. Let earth receive her king. Amen. Please stand and continue worshiping with us this morning.
You may be seated. Come to our time of prayer. All of us are praying for something this morning. How many of you are praying for family? How many of you are praying for, for those with physical ailments? How many of you are praying for those with spiritual needs? How many are you, of you are praying for our church? For our board as they serve as our search committee? I see those hands. How many of you are praying for our nation? So you see, we are praying. So as I've reminded you of those things, pray for them as I voice our prayer together. Amen. Lord, We know that you know what we are concerned about. But we know that you've instructed us to voice that. We know, Lord, that you are working in our lives. But we pray, Lord, that you will continue, knowing that you will. We pray, Lord because we want our concerns to be matched with yours. We want our uh, priorities to be matched with yours. We want you to know that as we live our lives and as we go through these experiences and as we feel these needs, that we want the outcomes we desire to be matched with the ones that you will provide us. Because we know, Lord, as much as our prayers change circumstances, even more so, our praying changes us. Because in praying for the, for the pastoral search, you prepare us to receive and to work with and to support and to encourage and to follow the pastor that you will provide us. In praying for the sick, you prepare us to offer care in praying for those with spiritual needs. You cause us to walk alongside and to love and to show your grace. In praying for our country, you cause us to walk alongside people whose needs aren't being met. You cause us to walk alongside people who are angry you cause us to walk alongside people who are hopeless. Yes, Lord, prayer changes us. May we be bearers of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and continue worshiping with us this morning.
Holy name. 
Christmas? Well, are you, are you feel like maybe we're getting started? Okay. Aaron, I would expect that if Brenda didn't bribe you for these Christmas songs, that you're going to be well rewarded. See? I wish I'd have thought of it, then I could have been rewarded as well, but there you go. You have the opportunity here this morning to give as you leave. The ushers will be waiting for you with a plate for that opportunity. And as always, anyone wishing to give to the work of this church can do so online. This morning, we're reading from Isaiah. This, we will be following the passages laid out for us in the, um, the Advent preparation uh, schedule um, the denomination sent us. So if you have an Advent book, this will begin um, the week. Um, so you'll be, you'll be checking up on me uh, throughout this week and can contend with me next Sunday on issues of <laughs> and points in this, in this passage, um, which is fun. I mean, I, I've told you that, that my grandmother or great-grandmother on multiple occasions would stand up in the middle of the church service and say, young man, where do you find that in Scripture? So I'm not asking you to do that, but um, we can talk about the Scripture on the side. So Isaiah 64, we're going to read the first nine verses. Oh, that you would tear down, or tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire ceases, causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God beside you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways, but you were angry, 
and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are your people. This passage was probably penned about the time that the captives were leaving Babylon from the exile. They had been praying. They had been hoping. And they arrived back into a land of desolation. And this would be a dark passage. I mean, listen to these words. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. Let me start a sick instead. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We are faded, we fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like a wind takes us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Wow. And the next verse begins. Yet. Yet. How many of you have used the word yet today? How often have you used it already in just this short time to communicate with others? Are you, somebody, I know somebody in this audience said to someone, are you ready yet? Or, I've known he's done all that yet. You know, yet is such a small word, yet packed with, oh, I did it there. So what would this text be without that word yet? It would be, Sure, we're unclean. Our righteousness can only be compared to a dirty cleaning rag. We have the substance of a windblown leaf. We float on our own rebellion. We ignore you, and you have abandoned us to the outcome of our actions. Yet, do you remember that you're our father? 
Do you remember that you can shape us any way you wish? So please, only be a little angry with us for a short time. You see, these people remembered the brickyard. Do you remember the brickyard? It was a thousand years ago, way back in Egypt. They were in a brickyard being oppressed. And what happened? God appeared to Moses. And where did he appear to Moses? At a burning bush. And at the burning bush, God said, I know my people are suffering, yet I have heard their voice and heard their cry. The Old Testament is clearly explaining how a people who are unable to take action on their own, they can't even occupy Cana when it's promised to them. They, they survive as 12 independent, cursedly independent tribes for about 400 years. <clears throat> and then when they get a king, a monarchy that separates them into competing groups and of interest groups within the nation, and their faith survives all of that. Their faith survives the defeat of the Assyrians, and it defies being caught between the Egyptians and the Babylonians. And finally, they have been carried away, and their faith survives. Why? Because they have had multiple, multiple, multiple yet moments that these things have stared them in the face, yet the Lord God You see, the yet moment is when an individual or a community finally realize that there is no way forward if they continue to travel alone. A yet moment is an expression of hope at a time when it appears that there is no hope. In the midst of this pandemic, we need a yet moment. For some people, that the thought is that that vaccine is the yet moment. But that yet that I heard this week that vaccine compared to the Calvary coming in and it may just be that the Calvary is just just a mile too far to save the day. We need another kind of yet moment. And that's the only kind of yet moment that we can provide ourselves. Doug is going to spend 21 straight days because people haven't acknowledged that there's a yet moment that they have control over. My daughter is in a hospital full of people that are sick because people haven't acknowledged that there is a yet moment and they can... They can take advantage of it. I can stay, this, this pandemic is raging, yet there is hope if I stay home. Yet there is hope if I wear a mask. Yet there is hope if I do what is common sense. 
I cannot travel alone. A yet moment is when we know we can't survive if we continue to journey on by ourselves. And so the Hebrew people, when defeated, when the land was depopulated, when they were leaderless, the Hebrew people were more than once at the point of extinction, there was always a small contingent who remained. And these remained because they identified around the yet of that moment. They recognized it and recognized that regardless of what was happening, the Lord God was there with them. So central to the birth and the rebirth of the Jewish people have been their hope. Their yet moments, which grew from the promises of previous yet moments that were recorded and maintained for people to remember. None more prolific at this than the prophet Isaiah. Of the royal family, he was instrumental to Yahweh proclaiming truth to corrupt leaders. He was read during the exile, and most importantly of all, he established the expectations of Messiah. The explanation of the Lord's coming, as is called for in this chapter, has become a recurring source of yet moments. First for the Hebrews and now for us as followers of Jesus. It establishes an explanation that God will come in person. He will come in person. This is the explanation of our hope and our faith. So today, here we begin. Another Advent season. Is it just another Advent season? That's up to you. What it is, is an annual yet moment, planned and scheduled to remind us of who we are and whose we are. Because hope is always based on the coming of the Lord. So I'm going to call on you today to reflect on some yet moments. You need to. If we don't reflect on yet moments, then we're kind of walking around in the twilight. Just enough light to trip over something. That's not the kind of light we've been called to live in. So as we begin a Sunday of hope, let's remember the times that Christ has come to us. Jesus in his coming, if you um, weren't able to be with us through the first half of the book of John, then you missed realizing that just the mere fact of Jesus' coming brought accusation, called people to a, a decision, called them to the point where they had to acknowledge that they were in need of the presence of God and a visit 
by the Messiah. Jesus came in flesh as a real person with real, in real flesh and blood with real human passions. <coughs> and he, in fact, lived like we lived, yet he lived without sin. And the mere fact of that becomes an accusation to us. We are utterly sinful. He is totally pure. We are marred with evil. He is marked with faithfulness. We rebel. He obeys. We destroy. He creates. We hate. And He loves. We couldn't survive this comparison if it wasn't for a yet moment. We could not survive. And what is our yet moment? He comes to us again as Redeemer. With his blood, he has purchased our salvation. His life as death, his resurrection, redeems us. It makes it possible for us to come into a right relationship with the living God of the universe. So that the accusation fades into to darkness. It is no more because we have a Savior named Jesus Christ. Redemption is possible and he is our Savior. We were who dead to sins and now live. Paul writes it this way. The Holy Spirit has come to us. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because, because it might as well be yet, God's love has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. He comes to us as comforter. We have gained freedom because Christ has moved us past accusation and redemption to salvation, to being present with us as comforter. Now, if you're honest, you will see this as a mixed coming. If he's present, he's comforter. If he's present, we need to be comforted. So if you desire to feel this comforter, beware. It is because we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. 
in all honesty, too much, too often, we claim the times when we're suffering because we're just stupid. Because we've chosen wrongly. Because we've brought about things on ourselves and we say, I'm suffering for the Lord. That's nonsense. You're suffering, suffering because you didn't follow common sense or pay, pay attention to what was going on around you. Suffering for the Lord means that you have stepped out in faith to do what God would do in a situation and in fact is doing because you're doing it. And it doesn't go well for you. Somebody says something to you. Well, hurt feelings are the lowest form of suffering for the Lord. Dying is the highest form of suffering for the Lord, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle. Even risking economic security. You want a comforter? Then let the Lord lead you into a yet moment when your actions put something in your life at risk for him. Now, you know I had to get around to a missionary story. There was a missionary laboring in the mountains of Mexico, a translating scripture into the local dialect, and he was looking for this word comfort. Have you? I've only talked to a couple of people who worked in Bible translation, and it isn't easy. Oh, yeah, you can come up with a word, but can you come up with a word that conveys the right meaning. When, when they were trying, in, in, in one of the languages Brenda and I worked in, Kirundi, it took over a year to find the right phrase to translate our Father, which art in heaven. Because there were so many expressions of fatherhood to get the right concept that didn't convey underneath something hidden that, that took away from the, this idea. So this missionary in Mexico was trying to work through this process of a word for comfort. And one day, his language helper came to him and asked for a week off. He said his uncle had died, and he needed to go home and help his aunt to take her heart around the corner. And he knew he had his phrase, that comfort is helping to get around that corner from what has been lost. We are suffering, yet we have comfort. Again, we turn to Paul. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words, and God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be comforted conform to the image of his son 
in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8, 26 and 30. So here we are. Not nearly as many as you would normally expect at the beginning of Advent. So this is a very unusual Sunday. And it's no stretch. No stretch whatsoever to imagine that each of us has personal concern. <coughs> We're worried about many things. But this verse reminds us our ongoing yet moment is that God has committed himself to making all work for good for us. Not some. Now, I got a little bit of bad news in that. He doesn't say he's going to give us what we want. Nor does he say that it's going to, oh, everything's going to work, or anything's even going to work for what's best or excellent. All those things are limited. The promise is that everything that happens can be worked for our good. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? See, I think, no, this is just the, the cynic in me. I think many of us don't believe that. I think we mouth it. We, we give a scent to it. But if we believed it, we'd live it. We don't take those risks and we don't suffer for the Lord because we don't trust God. And that's why we don't see miracles. We keep expecting God to be in control of the miracles. When you and I don't believe so that God has a vehicle through our belief to enact them. Do you want to see this community come to faith, saving faith in Jesus? Believe it. Do you want to see this church alive with the presence of the Spirit to enact what God wants? Then believe it. It may cause you not to watch some TV show you want to watch. It may cause you to, to miss buying something because there is something, some family that needs something for survival more than you need that thing for your pleasure. Yeah. Miracles come when God's people believe and act. It's a yet moment that is yet to come. There's one last coming that we need to acknowledge. It is the ongoing yet moment. We do not see him, but he is coming. People talk about that the things are being prepared for his coming. As I read scripture, everything's been prepared for his coming for a long time. I have no explanation of why the delay has occurred in the return of Christ to this earth. So it can happen in my understanding of Scripture, at any moment. Nothing is left to be fulfilled except the act. So, in those days, 
with that in mind. In those days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that he may walk, we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. We wait with anticipation. We wait with anticipation. He is delayed, yet he is coming. This is the Sunday of hope in Advent. So listen, you people of the Lord. Celebrate your hope. Listen, you people of the Lord. Your hope is at hand. Listen, listen, you people of the Lord. The Lord is your hope, and he has come, and he is coming. Let us pray. Our Lord, May our own history with yet moments show the world that we're people of faith. And we got many of them going on right now in this, in this room. My prayer is that in each and every one of them, each of us who are dealing with them will recognize that as we describe them, that we have to come to the point of saying, and yet the Lord, God, my Savior, my Comforter, my hope, and then finish the sentence as an action statement, one of faith that opens the way for you to work anew in the world. May we be that people. May we not wait for anyone else. May we not anticipate that it, it isn't worth doing because you're coming back. It is worth doing, and you are coming back. And may the people around us, the people who live with us, the people who work with us, the people who go to school with us, the people around us, even in this community, may they come to see hope through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stay in and sing Silent Night with us this morning.
Some of you may know the story comes from the First World War, how on Christmas Eve on the German lines they began singing Silent Night and American soldiers responded and soon they were mingling in the no man's land in between. Full of sentiment. But they had to return to their lines, and with ours, they were killing each other again. That is not a Christmas to celebrate. It's touching, it's sentimental, and it pulls at our heartstrings, but it does not build the kingdom of God. I call upon you to begin a Christmas season and be dismissed from the service to execute a Christmas season that builds the kingdom of God beginning with hope. You're dismissed. 